0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and we will put them up on the screen, but I'd love having you guys have your Bibles open as well. This morning we are finishing our Advent series. We're continuing, even this Christmas morning, to prepare and realign our hearts. We're focusing all of our attention and heart's affection on God's great gift to us. That is Jesus We're celebrating his advent, his arrival into this world a little over 2,000 years ago. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at some important prophetic announcements. We did that first by looking at an older couple named Zacharias and Elizabeth, and then to a younger couple who were betrothed to be married. That was Mary and Joseph, played really well by Naya and Kylan last week. Kids did an amazing job, by the way. Thank you so much yeah, we could clap for them again. So fun. And then we saw two amazing songs of rejoicing that spilled forth from both Mary and Zacharias separately. But now in part four of our Advent series, as we finish all of this up, we're going to look at the birth of the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, as His Advent, His coming, His arrival is finally going to take place in the Scripture's we're going to be looking at today in Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 20. And, you know, we've seen some divine interruptions take place in people's lives in our studies the past few weeks. But this morning we're going to see our God divinely interrupt the physical realm itself, time. Interrupt all of humanity by coming in the form of a little baby, an interruption that would bring about salvation for any and all who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I said at the beginning in our first Advent study that, you know, we don't like to be interrupted. It's not the fun thing when your plans, your appointment, your schedule, you know, even maybe for some of the kids this morning, you're like, I haven't even been able to open my Christmas gifts yet. Even being here might feel like a bit of an interruption for some of the kids. And some of the kids right now might want to say amen Amen. as an example to their parents. Uh, A couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I got a little blue postcard in the mail, a jury summons. And it was for December 21st. And I'm like, really? We're doing that right now? Like, my thing was interrupted. I was wrestling like, do I call? Do I try to postpone? If I postpone, I'm for sure going to have to go in. So I just, I went down there on, uh, I think, uh, whatever the 21st was, uh, Wednesday morning. And um, and I get down there in Mar- uh, Pittsburgh, and I'm like, okay, we're doing this. And I go in there, and there's like no one in the jury summons room. <laughs> and as so- soon as I start walking into the assembly room, the lady's like, Yeah, you're going home. Like, all the courts cleared this morning, and I'm like, praise you, Jesus. Thank you. But I think about this morning how I didn't, it bothered me. And actually, in going down, I thought this might be a great sermon illustration of interruption because I really did feel like my whole week was being interrupted with this jury summons thing. Mary and Joseph, as we're about to see, they get a summons. A decree happens by Caesar Augustus that they had to travel more than 60 miles in the final weeks of Mary's pregnancy. We talked about how Mary you know, went upwards of 100 miles to visit Elizabeth early on and how that could have been difficult. Maybe the morning sickness, even at that point, Mary could have been feeling. But what about traveling in your ninth month of pregnancy? By donkey, possibly. Not a comfortable ride. 60 plus miles. How that summons would feel like the worst interruption in your life. Like it couldn't have come at a worse time. But how God's hand was on that interruption. He was in it because He was going to bring something amazing, He was going to fulfill prophecy through the interruption through the decree that was about to take place. And so that enters, enters us in contextually into our passage of Scripture this morning. Again, I'm going to have the kids that can read, read aloud with me. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We'll read it together, kids. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius, try to say that word three times fast, was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Good job, kids. You all just turned into Linus from the Charlie Brown movie. Was it Linus? Linus, right? No one, just like me with my jury summons, it's our civic duty, I'm totally good with it. Like, that, that part's not the problem. It was just the timing. No one here was exempt from this decree, this command from Caesar Augustus, not even Joseph whose betrothed wife was about to give birth to her firstborn son. Now, normally when a census would take place, it was just the adult males who would have to travel, but clearly... There was no way that Joseph was going to leave Mary behind in Nazareth with the time drawing so near for her baby's delivery. This was, again, uh, more than 60. It was actually about an 80-mile journey for Joseph and Mary to make in the final days of Mary's pregnancy. And we can imagine that they could have dreaded having to take this journey. They could have been frustrated in their own sort of just humanness, with Caesar making this decree, they could have been sorrowful at the fact that Israel was not a free nation, but was under the occupation of Rome. But as I said, all of this was actually being orchestrated by the hand of God. It was His will. In those dark days where people were sitting in darkness in the shadow of death, as we saw in Zacharias's prophetic song last week, light was about to dawn. As the light of the world, Jesus was about to come into the world. And again, this, this had to happen prophetically. All of this prophetically was necessary. The Messiah had been foretold that he would come forth from Bethlehem. Any of you know where Jesus was, would have been born if they didn't travel? Any person? Nazareth, Right? So, one more passage, kids, if you'll read with me. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Say it loudly. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. See, according to the word of the Lord, and again, good job, kids. The word of the Lord through the prophet Micah, 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, the one who would be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting, meaning eternal, this would be an eternal being here that we're talking about, was going to come forth from Bethlehem. See, if Jesus had been born in Nazareth, we couldn't say that God keeps his word, And Jesus would not have fulfilled what Scripture had already spoken regarding the Messiah. But God sovereignly sovereignly orchestrated all of this in order that every word that He spoke would be fulfilled. None of it would be out of place. Jesus fulfilling all the things that were spoken of Him in His first advent, His first coming. But back to our text in Luke chapter 2. We see that because of the census, all the people that were traveling at that time, and because of the people traveling at that time, the city was packed. All the lodging places were all filled. The fact that we're told there was no room for them in the inn tells us that they were trying to find a place to stay, but that every place that they tried turned them away. I've I, never been pregnant before. But... You know, anytime I've ever heard of someone having to like deliver their child in a car or something, like that's terrifying. I can't, what if you had gotten to the hospital and they're like, sorry, we just don't have any place for you. How, I mean, you would feel horrible. It would be a horrible feeling. Mary needs a place. She's about to give birth. You can imagine maybe at this point in time, she's already having contractions. Things are starting to progress And they're like, sorry, we don't have a spot for you guys. Everything's all filled up. No one's willing to give up their room. The King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Savior of mankind, God in human flesh has left the worship of angels in heaven to come here among us. And we're like, sorry, We don't have a spot for Jesus. The world at that point could not have cared less. They wouldn't open their doors to give him a proper place to be delivered. Jesus was treated then as he's treated by many still today. no room for him in their lives. Their lives are all filled up. They They don't really need him. When the reality spiritually is that they're empty and poor, completely in need of what only Jesus can provide. Because there was no room for Joseph and Mary, they went to the only place of shelter they could find, and that was actually with animals. This most likely either was a, a stable or, or a cave outside of an inn where animals would have been kept. And this is where Mary would bring forth her firstborn son in a stable, potentially a, a, a damp and dark cave, the only spot for him to be laid after he was wrapped in swaddling cloths, which please understand when we read that, we get this idea that Jesus is in this nice like receiving blanket. He's all bundled up. He's all nice. Swaddling meant strips of cloth. Putting strips of cloth on him. This is what we have. We have strips of cloth. He doesn't even get a nice blanket. And then when they placed him, we hear the word manger. We think, again, of what we see in the, you know, nativity scenes. This nice wooden thing that's been built and there's hay and it's all really nice, and it was a feeding trough for animals. This is not at all the way that we would expect the king of all creation to make his entrance into this world. After thousands of years of expectation, we would think it'd be completely different. I want to ask you kids, how would you feel if Christmas gifts came every five years, Like, hey, in five years, you'll get some Christmas gifts. How would you feel? Bad. Thank you. I'm just like, yes, of course. Like, that's horrible. It's hard enough to wait once a year, right? Like, December feels like an eternity when you're six or seven, eight, ten years old. Thousands of years. What if you waited those five years for your Christmas gifts? And I'll, I'll borrow from Pastor Chad last night. What if all you got was socks? You'd be like, I feel gypped. What happened? How about thousands of years of human expectation for the Messiah to come? And it's not in the royal palace. It's it's in a cave. It's not surrounded with royalty. It's not surrounded with fanfare. It's just animals. He doesn't get the golden bassinet. He doesn't get the, you know, Egyptian cotton of blankets. He gets strips of cloth. It just doesn't make sense to us in any way, shape, or form in our own human understanding. This is not how we would have expected Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, to come into the world. And yet this is exactly the way God intended his son to come into our world. Jesus came humbly into the world the way that he did so that he would never be viewed by us as unapproachable or unrelatable. You know, Viewed as the savior for the elite of society, but maybe not for us personally. See, both the rich and the poor the popular and the outcast can find in Jesus their Savior, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for our sins. The Savior who loves us and desires us and whose arms are open to us. Joseph and Mary's lives were divinely interrupted in order that the greatest divine interruption could take place. For all of humanity is this child who would be called Emmanuel. What does that mean, kids? God God with us, right? You said it last week. God with us had now come into this world in order to save us from our sins, as the angel had told Joseph when he told him what Jesus' name would be. See, sometimes these divine interruptions God brings into our lives are for us. But sometimes... He interrupts our lives for the benefit of others, and we have to learn to see the interruptions of God as being a result of the grace of God towards us and others. The divine interruption in Joseph and Mary's lives teaches us a lot of things, but one of those things is to be open and sensitive and listening, and in the interruption to see it as an opportunity to press into the Lord, to seek His face, to ask what He might be doing or speaking or how He might be leading, and then to be obedient and faith-filled in whatever it is that God's doing. But while Jesus was not born in a royal palace, didn't have trumpets blown and royal messengers heralding His birth, something far more glorious took place to announce His birth, as we'll see in the following verses of Luke chapter 2. And kids, This is a long one, but let's do it. I think we can handle this, okay? Starting in verse 8. You starting me off? Let's do it. Here we go. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph you kids did a great job. So good. That's a lot of verses to read. See, this divine interruption we find in these verses is special. Unlike righteous and blameless Zacharias and Elizabeth, which I think as we read it, we're like, of course the angel showed up to Zacharias. He's a priest He's serving in the temple. Him and his wife are devout. They're blameless. They've been serving God all these years. I mean, of course the angel's going to show up to them. We think about Mary and Joseph, and we're like, well, you know, Mary was humble. She knew God. She was a worshiper of her God. We look at Joseph, and we're like, he's a humble and honorable man. Okay, I get it. Like, I get why God would want to, you know, show up to them, use them in some sort of way. But then we come to this passage of Scripture, and it's a little bit different because shepherds in that day were the social outcasts among their own people. Being a shepherd was not the cool thing. Like, I, I picture in our day, if this ever caught on in our culture, that, like, I could see hipsters becoming shepherds. Like, I don't really shower, and I'm just—I'm not saying that all hipsters don't shower, but I hang out outside in nature. I've got this whole sheep thing going on. And I've named them. I—it's a pretty cool thing, pretty cool. But shepherds were not seen in that way. They actually had a bad reputation. They were seen as unreliable. They were not allowed to give testimony in court, and they were viewed generally by the population, by their society, as ceremonially and ritually unclean. We don't hang out with these people. This isn't like, hey, we're going to go hang out, and we're going to do something together. It's like, no, you do, you You go, you guys, shepherds, you're together, you have your thing, but stay out in the fields. Like, stay out there, And yet God in his grace interrupted these shepherds as they were working out in the fields, interrupting them in the normal rhythms of their work life. I love that because God will do the same with us. It's not just in the temple. It's not just when we're at church. It's when we're at work. It's when we're in normal sorts of circumstances that God oftentimes wants to interrupt what we're doing, what we're about, who we're around. This angel appearing to them, the glory of the Lord shining around them. And that angel bringing them good news of great joy, which was for all people that the long-awaited Messiah had been born that day in Bethlehem. And then all of a sudden this multitude of angels appearing who were praising and glorifying God. But this interruption was also an invitation to be the first ones outside of Mary and Joseph and the animals to come and see the baby who would be wrapped in strips of cloth, who was lying in an animal's feeding trough, this baby who was Christ the Lord. Again, our our nativity scenes oftentimes mess us up in our thinking. Like, you know, the wise men would have come first, the, the, the people who were kind of like in the elite of society they were really wise, they were in tune with the times, they knew God's word, they were in tune with what the Spirit of God was doing. Of course, they would be the ones to come and see Jesus at his birth, but actually that was sometime later on. It was the shepherds and the shepherds alone who were the only visitors to come and welcome Jesus into the world. This interruption led to an invitation, but it also brought them to a place of worship, motivated them to be witnesses, broadcasting what they had seen and heard and returning, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. And in this, we see God's heart for those who are the rejects or outsiders in society, The unloved, the unwanted, the unseen, the ones who others have given up on. The ones who maybe even feel too far gone for God to still love them, to want to bring them to himself. All of this made clear because of the greatest divine interruption, Jesus being born into this world. See, the birth of Jesus Christ declares to us that we are not forgotten or forsaken by God. Now we're not a mistake. We're not unwanted, but that He sees us, He knows us, He's near to us, He loves us, and that He wants us to know and love Him. God's divine interruptions are also His divine invitations. They're invitations for those seeking Him and even those who are not, for those who are old And those who are young, for for men and for women, for the religious, the seeker, the skeptic, and the atheist, the popular, and the outcast, the rich, and the poor. Invitations to stop and consider who this God is, all that He's done, all He's still doing today. We need God to bring His divine interruptions into our lives so we get our eyes off of ourselves and off of our circumstances and off of of others and off of the world around us with all of its craziness and brokenness so that we'll see Him, see His goodness, His love, His grace, His power, His desire for each of us that we would be drawn to Jesus Christ in surrender and also in love and worship of Him. Because of God's divine interruption that first Christmas morning, Jesus coming here for us, ultimately to die, and then three days later to to raise in glory. You and I have the opportunity to know, receive, and experience the love of God, which is found in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who is God's perfect gift. And now Jesus holds out his gift of salvation to us, completely free, completely a work of his grace, and he just wants us to receive him by faith none of us can save ourselves from our sin problem which means all of us are in need of a savior and jesus is that savior he is the only one able to save and all of this shows us the true meaning of christmas i'm gonna have the worship team come back up kids you did so good this morning hanging tough Listen, all of what we've looked at this morning is still good news of great joy for all people. It should fill our hearts with joy. Good news of great joy, it's also a source of great comfort for those with sorrow and heaviness. Why? Because Jesus is our hope. Jesus is hope. And for those that feel hopeless, those that feel hurting, he's also the one who heals the brokenhearted and binds up wounds. This same Jesus that that came as a baby is the one who is the Prince of Peace. He's the one who wants to guide our feet into the way of peace. Who wants to bring his peace into our hearts this morning. Just like the shepherds did after hearing the news and then seeing Jesus for themselves, let's respond to our Savior by worshiping Him, glorifying Him for who He is and all He's done, but let's also respond to our Savior by proclaiming the good news about Him with whoever we meet, whoever we spend time with, taking the opportunities, taking the open doors, Not growing frustrated with the interruptions, but seeing God's purposes in them. In order that we can show and share Jesus' love and gospel with those he places in our path. But if there's anyone who's joined us this morning and you don't just first have a personal saving relationship with Jesus. Look, Jesus is not just the Savior for some, He's the Savior for all. And this morning, His birth is not just something that we can come to once a year and go, wow, wasn't that great? His birth is something that all year round transforms everything about us. Because if He hadn't come, you and I would never have new life. We never have eternal life. We would never know what forgiveness of sins feels like. We would know that confidence and have the hope of eternity. And this morning, those things are being held out to each of us that we would be able to say, Jesus, yes, me. Come and be my Savior, be my Lord, be my King. Be the hope of my life. And so wherever we're at this morning, maybe you're heavy-hearted. There's been a lot that's been going on. Know that Jesus is not just the baby in the manger. He's the one who's also the high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. He knows our sorrows. He was a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. Why? Because he just wanted to be able to go, yeah, I've been through it. No, because he could... Look at us and go, I I get it. I get it, I've been there. He hurts with us. And this morning, if that's anybody, just know that Jesus is for you. He's with you. He's got you. But would we in this closing time be able to just respond in worship to our Savior? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. So thankful to be able to gather like this on Christmas morning. I know for some it may feel like a bit of an interruption, and yet, Lord, how good it is for us to be here, Lord, just fixing our attention upon you. Lord, how good it is for our souls, Lord, to be able to worship you and receive your word. Be among your people be reminded of the hope we have in Jesus that this good news is of great joy for us this morning. And Lord for those that are feeling heavy-hearted, God, would you meet Lord, those who have a spirit of heaviness, Lord, would you give would you give your joy? Would you bring comfort, Lord? Would you bring your peace? Lord, would you bring hope? How would you meet each one where they're at? Lord, if there's anybody here that hasn't ever put their faith in you, Lord, never received your salvation, Lord, even now would they see Jesus, you are their Savior, you want to be their Savior to save them from the sin problem that exists in each and every one of us, Lord, we cannot overcome. And so, Jesus, you did by the cross of Calvary. You gave yourself for us, our perfect and spotless Lamb. And if that's anybody here this morning and you need the salvation of Jesus, you need your sins forgiven, would you raise your hand where you're at so I can pray for you? If that's you this morning, I would love to lead you in just a prayer of of faith, a prayer of humility. A prayer of surrender to say, Jesus, be my Savior. Is that anybody here this morning? Lord, you know the state of people's hearts. And God, if there is anybody here, maybe someone joining online, they just happened to catch this service. Or, Lord, God, would you be speaking to them? Lord, would they open their hearts to you? Surrendering to you, Lord Jesus, saying, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord, be my God, be my King. Jesus, save me, forgive me, cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. Give me the promise and hope of eternal life. Would you seal me with your Spirit, Lord God? I believe in you. I put my faith in you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again from the grave. Save me. Jesus, I put my trust in you today. I just encourage you, if you've done that, if you've prayed that prayer of faith, the Bible says you will be saved. Lord, as people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb who came as a little baby. Lord, we want to respond to you in songs of praise, with great joy. Lord, with hearts that are just humbled before you, surrendered fully to you. And Lord, would you send us forth from this place as people just as the shepherds, proclaiming, Lord, to whoever will listen the good news, the gospel message about Jesus. Lord, we thank you, we love you. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas, guys.